This episode deals with pedophilia, child sexual abuse materials, and the case includes fantasies of murder and cannibalism. If this subject matter is triggering, please listen with caution or consider skipping this episode. If you are a child in need of help or an adult seeking help for a child, contact Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline. Call or text 800-4-A-CHILD. That's 800-422-4453. Hey, true weirdos. At the end of this episode, stick around if you want for a little bonus content and conversation. Puppophobia. Not the fear of razor-sharp puppy teeth, no. It's the fear of puppets. Don't laugh, it's real. Sweating, tremors, racing heartbeat, panic, nightmares, depression. If you have puppophobia, puppets can seem like the worst possible unholy marriage of clowns and dolls. A thing presented as just harmless good fun. A thing with a paint-it-on smile. But a puppet is a thing that has the power to come alive and speak to you. And this little puppet right here, it just wants to eat you up. And make out a small beam of light against the mirror. <laughs> True, weird stuff. Puppetry is an ancient art. There's some debate on the origins, but China and India are the frontrunners with evidence suggesting that puppets were helping humans tell their stories as far back as 1000 BCE. Those early puppets were simple creations made from whatever was at hand. And at first, Puppets were part of sacred, religious, and cultural rituals. It took the ancient Egyptians to give the world its first taste of puppet theater. Their first creations were made of wood and operated by strings. These primitive puppets were designed to simulate everyday sorts of tasks, cooking, carrying water, that sort of thing, which was a very impressive trick for the times and really wowed the crowds. Over time, the Egyptians created ever more artful puppets made of much finer materials. String was replaced with wire and crude wooden limbs with cleverly jointed clay arms and legs, or ivory, depending on the wealth and status of the puppet's owner. Puppets have even been found entombed with the pharaohs, presumably to be shipped off with them to the afterlife. But puppets weren't toys for the ancient Egyptians, and they weren't meant just for entertainment. Puppetry was part of ritual. Example, the ancient Egyptians used puppets as fertility symbols in their Osiris feasts. These were a celebration of the cycle of death and rebirth of the god Osiris, but also of the land and its people. Picture a simple human-like figure, about two feet tall, with articulated joints. Women would carry these figures aloft using ropes to manipulate the limbs. Each of these figures had a little something extra, an enormous phallus, also about two feet in length. According to the historian Herodotus, the women would tug on the rope attached to the phallus and it would waggle about as guests feasted. Can you imagine? 
let's get a petition going, Max, to have this added to the Academy Awards. What a crowd pleaser. <laughs> Can you even imagine the ratings boost? Wow. Oh, no. Oh, no. It looks like Ben Affleck just got sideswiped. Careful there, ladies. The ancient Greeks also incorporated puppets into their religious ceremonies. Like those in Egypt, the figures were also about two feet high, manipulated by strings, and toted around by women singing of Dionysius, the god of wine and fertility, theater and religious ecstasy. The scholar Molly Annika Scotheim has written that puppetry in the ancient world was like a doorway to the divine, because puppets were inanimate things that could be made to appear like living things. What an incomprehensible wonder that was back then, bordering on sheer magic. But even then, puppets were already morphing into a kind of entertainment seemed to be fit for children. So there was this king named Antiochus Cyzicenus, who ruled Syria from 115 to 95 BCE. And among his many charms, the king fancied himself a puppeteer. This was not considered to be behavior befitting of royalty. Listen to this report from a dude named Diodorus Siculus. Shortly after Antiochus Cyziscanus gained the throne, he lapsed into drunken habits, crass self-indulgence, and pursuits utterly inappropriate to a king. He delighted, for example, in mimes and exhibitionists, and generally in all showmen, and devoted himself eagerly to learning their crafts. He practiced also how to manipulate puppets and personally to keep in motion silver-plated and gilded animals, five cubits high, and many other such contrivances. On the other hand, he possessed no store of city-takers or other instruments of siegecraft that might have brought him high renown and performed some service worth recording. It's fun to imagine a king more focused on playing with puppets than in conquering distant lands or what have you, isn't it? Imagine that world for a second. You really think things here on Earth could be any worse if our global leaders were more like Jeff Dunham than Vladimir Putin? But you know how it is with our species. It seems we'd rather have bloodshed than merriment. Oh, and by the way, a cubit is the distance from your shoulder to the tip of your finger. So a puppet five cubits high, that's a pretty big puppet. Here's the thing about puppets that's as true today as it was thousands of years ago when our ancestors gasped in wonder at how the illusion of life could be breathed into a bundle of sticks and string. Puppets have the power to show us both sides of the human soul. A puppet can be playful and light, set free of the limitations of the physical body and the rules imposed on us by society. Puppets can mock authority, can break the rules in ways that are harmless and funny. Puppets are immune to pain, to physical injury, to gravity even. But a puppet can also take us into the dark acting out the kinds of impulses that we repress and prohibit. A puppet can get away with the unspeakable. This is why ancient people enjoyed puppetry, but also feared it. They saw puppets as existing somehow on the boundary line between dreams and reality, between the living and the dead. Fast forward to now when puppets are still big entertainment. I mentioned Jeff Dunham. He's a comedian and a ventriloquist. 
He works with puppets. They're just called dummies when used by ventriloquists. Forbes ranked Jeff in the top three highest paid comedians in the U.S., something he's more than earned. He's a really brilliant guy. We've known him for a long time. And what Jeff knows is this. His puppets, Walter, Ahmed, the dead terrorist, Bubba J, Peanut, just to name a few. Those puppets can get away with murder. And when you're in the audience, you completely fall under the spell of those inanimate little beings who've come suddenly to salty, silly, shocking life. And puppets are still enjoying a very comfortable spot in modern religion. Let's talk about something called puppet ministry. It's a journey that will lead us straight to a monster. Now, your puppet ministry is a fine thing in and of itself. You can't blame the idea of puppet ministry for the monster we'll meet in this story. A monster who used it for evil, which is gross and unfortunate. But we know how people can be, don't we? How people can take even the sweetest, most innocent things and warp them into something foul and perverse. According to a website called PuppetMinistryWorld.com, you can sum up the concept of puppet ministry like this. Puppet Ministry is a team dedicated to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with your church community and the world using stories, songs, and humor through the art of puppetry. And a great puppet ministry is designed to break down barriers in order to share the gospel and creative ways that appeal to children of all ages. Cool. The ancient Greeks couldn't have said it any better. And for some churches, the COVID lockdowns ended up leading to a resurgence in puppet ministry. Little kids can have a tough time sitting still and paying attention during church services. Putting those services online didn't exactly help. Enter puppets, and suddenly kids were more engaged. Makes perfect sense, right? Congregations that rode the Christian puppetry wave in the 1990s only to see it fade out were back in business. And hopefully they were able to buy back their old puppets cheaply on eBay, because yeah, Used church puppets were all over that site. Some puppeteers, though, never abandoned that ministry, even as the novelty wore off and puppets found themselves replaced by big screen videos and mega church rock bands. Florida Christian puppeteer uh, Ronald William Brown has been convicted of possession of child pornography. He also faced a charge of conspiracy to kidnap a child, but he was not convicted on that charge. It turns out that last year authorities arrested him because they found child pornography in his home. And they also found that he had fantasies about uh, killing children and eating them. Whoa, slow down there. We haven't even been introduced to Ronald William Brown, and here we are jumping straight to eating children. Patience, patience. We have to start with Joy Junction, a Christian-themed TV show for kids. It aired in the mid-1980s, though it apparently had a bit of a revival via syndication in the late 1990s through the early 2000s. The premise was fairly simple. The show was set in a make-believe village called Joy Junction. The host was Sheriff Don. There was a nice lady named Mrs. Peterson and a gentleman called Professor Ron. The professor was a ventriloquist with a little puppet friend named Marty. Huh. If going to church every Sunday makes you a Christian, then going to McDonald's every week must make me a hamburger. Huh. 
<laughs> Marty! Well, Ron, it's true. Well, you do make a good point there. Just going to church doesn't make a person a Christian. That's true. You know, Ron, you have to invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and ask him to forgive you of your sins. That's right, Marty. And you know, after you do that, you're supposed to grow in the Lord. Huh? Well, I don't mean we're supposed to grow physically, but we are supposed to grow spiritually. You know, I'm thinking of 2 Peter 3.18, which says we're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, it just simply means, Marty, that we're supposed to get to know the Lord better and grow in our relationship with Him. Professor Ron, played by Ronald William Brown. Brown had his own business, an outfit called Puppets Plus that he started in 1992. He performed at shopping centers and Pinellas County schools and summer camps and even volunteered at the Gulf Coast Church near his home in Largo, Florida. He was the kind of guy who gave the neighborhood kids free pizza and offered them rides in the church van. And then came July 20th, 2012, when police showed up at his door in the Whispering Pines mobile home park. They arrested the 57-year-old on federal charges of conspiring to kidnap children. Were the neighbors shocked at this turn of events? Not really. One neighbor, Laura Jean Shake, told a local TV news reporter, He was an antisocial, strange person. He would never associate or speak to any adults. But another neighbor said that parents had no idea that the man offering their kids free pizza and free rides was being anything other than helpful. Maybe it's me and my insane background, but a man who lives alone, doesn't speak to me, but offers my kid pizza and a ride, is a man made up entirely of giant red flags all waving furiously in the wind. But I'm just suspicious that way, I guess. Anyhow, the police hauled puppeteer Ronald William Brown off in handcuffs. At the time of his arrest, Brown had no prior criminal record. But he did have a couple of encounters with law enforcement that were disturbing in hindsight and honestly, maybe should have been way more disturbing at the time they happened. Like the traffic stop in 1998 where a Pinellas County Sheriff's deputy spotted a pair of boys' underwear briefs partly stuffed into the driver's seat beside Brown. When questioned, Brown told the officer that the underpants were for one of his puppets, which, yeah would seem to be the kind of response that might raise an eyebrow, but I guess it was the 90s and people were like, cool, your puppet wears underpants. Alrighty then, watch your speed and have a good night. Brown's next run-in with the law came in 2010 when Largo police responded to a call about Brown driving around with a young boy in his car. That one turned out to be a false alarm. The boy was just one of many to whom Brown offered rides and the child's parents were fine with it. But when Brown was arrested that afternoon in July 2012, the cops were working with more than a pair of boys' underwear and a 911 call from a concerned neighbor. The Department of Homeland Security had launched an international investigation into child pornography called Operation Holitna. That led agents first to Boston, then to the Netherlands, then to a Kansas man named Michael Arnett, and from there to Ronald William Brown in Florida. Brown's arrest was one of 40 arrests made in six countries. The details in the arrest report and the legal filings are gruesome. 
Arnett was arrested in Kansas City more than a month before cops picked up Brown from the documents filed in March of 2013 in U.S. District Court. Through the forensic examination of Arnett's computers, it was discovered that Arnett had been communicating with and exchanging child pornography materials with other individuals using online chat programs, as well as engaging in extremely graphic discussions regarding the kidnapping, sexual abusing, murdering, and eating of children. One of the individuals that Arnett was discussing the abuse, abduction, murder, and cannibalism of children was using the Yahoo screen name Ulime. A subpoena directed to Yahoo for screen name Ulime showed that it belonged to the defendant, Ronald Brown. A search warrant was obtained for Brown's mobile home. What was found? Hundreds of images of child pornography and child erotica, including various images showing children being bound and tortured. Additionally, Brown had hundreds of images of deceased children. On the Dell computer, multiple devices were seized by the police. Brown possessed numerous images of child pornography, including two images of a naked baby whose hands were bound to his legs which were separated and splayed apart, displaying his genitalia in a lewd and lascivious manner. The baby victim has been identified by law enforcement, and the images were taken in California and thus traveled in interstate commerce. I know this stuff is hard to hear. Take a breath. And do you think we might agree that the phrase child erotica is appalling and needs to be set on fire? Also, We now refer to these kinds of images and this kind of content as child sexual abuse materials, or CSAM. Calling it pornography or erotica lends a twisted legitimacy to what is so clearly criminal abuse. And before you try to both sides me on this, maybe check yourself and ask why this is a hill you want to die on. You think that any infant or any child is capable of consent? Back to the legal documents. Brown had quite the collection of floppy disks in that year of our Lord, 2012, a full year after that particular storage media was considered graveyard dead. But the feds had no trouble viewing what was on those floppies. I'll spare you the worst of it and just tell you that Brown had a taste for prepubescent boys from the heartland, places like Illinois and Wisconsin. I can't spare you this next finding because you need to know what kind of monsters are prowling around our kids in the places that we think are the safest. Further forensic review revealed that on May 28, 2012, just 54 days before police showed up at Brown's home, the puppeteer had knowingly received numerous CSAM images from an individual he was chatting with online who shared that they had photos of nude boys and babies, including some images of children who were bound and tied. Brown was apparently delighted to hear this, responding that he would very much enjoy seeing boys tied up. As the chat progressed, Brown went further, saying that he liked seeing boys urinating while tied up. In response to one image in particular, Brown gushed that he'd, quote, love to snuff him, meaning the child. Then he gloated, the tied up ones are best. During a post-arrest interview with police, Brown admitted that Ulime was indeed his Yahoo alias and that he'd created a folder on his computer for the images he'd received in these chats on Yahoo Instant Messenger. 
Often in a case like this one, folks close to the perpetrator express shock and bewilderment at the offenses. He was a nice guy, they say, or he was quiet and minded his own business, they say. He just loved kids and we figured they loved him too, they say. But in the case of Ronald William Brown, it feels like there was more than a little weird and sketchy stuff just out there, right in plain sight if anyone was paying attention. Like this exchange between Ronald and his dummy Marty that aired on the TV show Joy Junction. And when I got over there, I noticed that some of the kids were kind of giggling and laughing, you know, and I wondered why they were doing that. Well, why were they doing it? Well, they said, Marty, come over here and take a look at our pictures. So I walked on over there and I took a look. And do you know what it was? What was it, Marty? Well, it was in Arizona, I'll tell you that right now. Ron, they were looking at some dirty pictures and they wanted me to look too. Well, Marty, what did you do? Well, I said, look, guys, I like you a lot and I want to play with you, but I can't look at those pictures. I just can't do it. Well, what did they say, Marty? They said, oh, Marty, come on. Your parents are in the house. No one will see. Well, what did you say? I said, that may be true, but I know someone who will see, and that's God. I want to shout out YouTuber Cringe Venom for hunting down and compiling some of this material from Joy Junction, because that show vanished from the internet after Brown's arrest. To be fair, only Ronald William Brown was guilty of criminal wrongdoing, the rest of the team was guilty only of creating programming for kids that managed to be both painfully awkward and terribly condescending. And for not seeing that Brown was, regardless of his other sins, a truly wretched ventriloquist. And Marty the puppet was disturbing to behold. But I digress. Stretching as far as humanly possible to give the producers of Joy Junction the benefit of the doubt here, because who knew the truth about Brown back then? Knowing who he is now, it's hard to watch or listen to a clip like this without your skin crawling. Humans have an instinct that helps protect us from predators. And this guy and his icky puppet Marty, tell me your inner alarms aren't chiming. Idea and Homeland Security tells me they do not expect a third raid of Ronald Brown's trailer home in Largo, at least not anytime soon. At this hour, bags of possible new clues seized late last night are headed for a crime lab. Agents can't tell us what's in those bags yet. The 57-year-old puppeteer is accused of crimes against children. Authorities say Brown had pictures of boys with their hands and feet bound. Brown's already appeared in federal court where detectives say he admitted to chatting with another man online about cooking children and eating their remains. Prosecutors attempted to negotiate a plea deal with Brown. In November 2012, Brown backed out of a tentative plea agreement that would have seen him pleading guilty to a handful of lesser charges. Brown wanted a jury trial, despite the likelihood that federal prosecutors would come at him harder in a courtroom with more serious charges carrying more significant consequences. And sure enough, a month later, the feds filed a new indictment against Brown, eight felony CSAM charges. Brown's rejected plea deal would have resulted in the man serving only six years in prison. Should he be found guilty by a jury on one or more of these eight charges? Brown was staring down 20 years to life. I swear, y'all. The perversity here is exceeded only just barely by the stupidity. 
Then again, can you really expect a man charged with wanting to eat children to make clear and rational decisions about anything else? The new indictment also revealed that Brown was in possession of hundreds and hundreds of images of deceased children. Uh, Sheriff Don, Marty yeah. was telling me a little earlier about some kind of problem he was having at school, and I wanted, I wanted to find out what was going on. What seems to be happening at school, Marty? Is it, is it a big problem? Yes, a very serious one, too. Well, exactly what's going on, Marty? Well, it seems like I'm hearing a lot of swear words. All the kids are using swear words these days, and I'm afraid one of them's going to slip out of my mouth one of these days. Oh. Well, Marty, can't you just avoid those kids that are using the bad words? No way. It's everywhere. In the gym, in class, even, even at recess and lunch. Everywhere I go, I keep hearing kids using bad words. And I just don't know what to do about it, Ron. Other revelations included online chats where Brown confessed to touching young boys while in a swimming pool on a cruise ship. And investigators seized a blow-up sex doll dressed in children's clothing from Brown's home. If going to church every Sunday makes you a Christian, then going to McDonald's every week must make me a hamburger. <laughs> Marty, or Ron, it's true. Well, you do make a good point there. Just going to church doesn't make a person a Christian. That's true. You know, Ron, you have to invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart and ask him to forgive you of your sins. That's right, Marty. And you know, after you do that, you're supposed to grow in the Lord. On Monday, July 15, 2013, now 58-year-old Ronald William Brown was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison, followed by lifetime probation. He was ordered to register as a sex offender and was banned from having access to any computer with online services. As for his defense, it came down to this. I did what I did. But I would never kill and eat a child for real. Those are just my fantasies. Yeah, we'll tell that to the parents of the one little boy at Brown's church who Brown had identified as an especially choice candidate for killing and eating. Brown's attorney kind of shrugged and declared that his client lives in a fantasy world and what lawyer can defend a fantasy? Let's sit with that for a second. And done. Prosecutor, Assistant U.S. Attorney Amanda Kaiser argued that Brown wasn't even interested exclusively in living children. Brown had a taste for dead children. Brown, Kaiser argued, had gone so far as contacting a local funeral home in search of possible opportunities that would put him in proximity to dead bodies. And just when you think things can't possibly look any more damning for Brown, out comes the pile of journals the man kept over the years. Page after page in Brown's own handwriting, going as far back as 1979. Brown detailed his obsessions, scrawling paragraph after paragraph about one individual boy after another. He wrote about meeting some of these boys through his puppet ministry at various churches in Pinellas County. One series of journal entries dated 1993 chart at Brown's fixation on a middle school-age boy. Brown wrote of repeatedly driving past Dunedin Middle School in hopes of seeing the child. In another section, he ranted furiously over how angry he was with a different boy for having lost interest in the puppets. 
U.S. Attorney Kaiser described the journals as showing a pattern of obsession, infatuation, and resentment with constant references to puppets and musings about murder. Fantasies or not, acted upon or not, federal judge James D. Whitmore was blunt and unequivocal at sentencing. Perverted is not a strong enough word to describe what you have been engaging in. Horrific, that is getting close. Unimaginable, that is getting closer. Being a parent means walking a tightrope strung between blind terror and blind optimism. You know there's a bottomless chasm on one side, patiently waiting for that one misstep, that one stroke of bad luck, for the chaotic randomness of it all to give you the gentlest of shoves. But you frantically run the odds in your head, throw up all the protections and wards you can come up with, and tell yourself over and over and over that there are more good people than bad in this world. And we have to hope that that's true. We have to make ourselves believe it's true. How else do we keep going? Can't wait to see the horror in the child's eyes. Can't wait to see them being fearful. It's that person taking pleasure in the terror of the victim. Dr. Valerie McLean's a psychologist who's analyzed several high-profile criminal cases. She says the transcripts filled with details about the Largo puppeteer binding and suffocating children, even cooking them in an oven, makes this fantasy one that borders on criminal reality. Taking a body part, mutilating, eating that body part, that's a pretty detailed plan. That then it becomes a situation where the impulse basically dominates reality. In most hands, a puppet is just an inanimate thing with a painted-on smile. The puppeteer is always in control. The puppet has no thoughts of its own, no motives, no cravings. At least you hope so. There's a movie that came out in the late 1970s called Magic. It starred Sir Anthony Hopkins and Anne Margaret. Hopkins plays a ventriloquist named Corky, trying to reignite a relationship with his old high school sweetheart, played by Anne Margaret. But Corky has a problem. His dummy, Fats, seems to have developed a mind of his own. Abracadabra, I sit on his knee. Presto, change and now he is me. Focus, focus, we take it to bed. Magic is free. Where does the puppeteer end and the puppet begin? You're crazy. I tried to stop him, didn't I? Tried? Tried? You failed! Damn it, look at me. You know, it's the hatch for you. There's nothing wrong with me. I know that, and you know that. But all those piss-hand drones who run the world, they hate us because we're special. Ronald William Brown claims he lived in a fantasy world a world where the children he entertained at schools and summer camps and churches weren't just an audience, they were prey. And his puppets weren't merely things cobbled together from bits of wood and cloth and resin and wire. Brown's puppets were an extension of himself. It was the puppet's hand that could reach out and stroke a boy's hair. It was the puppet who beckoned the children to come closer and then closer still. The puppet who made it all okay, all safe and harmless and wholesome. The only thing special about Ronald William Brown 
He said he got caught. Most don't. Remember that. Most of these child predators stay under the radar and never face any consequences for their actions. Brown did, and though he appealed his conviction in 2020, he lost that case too. This is an ugly, troubling story. So let's try to end on an inspirational note. There was this one episode of Joy Junction where Professor Ron and his little puppet buddy Marty were feeling a little bit down. You know, like you do when the feds have charged you with eight felony counts of possession of child sex abuse materials. Oops, I mean when you've been tempted by Satan to be a naughty boy instead of a good boy. A kindly little girl named Sarah Edens took the stage and offered up this helpful song. true weird stuff it was a procedure meant to revitalize a man's health to give him back his youthful energy and stamina a simple procedure really just a little snip snip and you're a new guy with a dead murderer's testicles swapped out for your own or maybe you got some goat testes either way we're having a ball on the next true weird stuff This is horrifying stuff. Um, It's just horrifying. Uh, You think your kids are safe at school, at least from sexual predators and certainly at church. But the Ronald William Brown story reminds us that there's really no safe place. And I want to disclose something here. Um, Part of the reason why uh, we told this story in this episode. So I'm just one person. I got a couple of kids, just one person. I live in a medium sized city. My kids went to public school. I have had four different significant encounters with men charged with the sexual abuse of children. The first was a teacher at my children's school who disappeared abruptly. One day he was there, the next day he was in Canada. The story came out. Years later, another teacher at that same school big, big, massive public um, K-8 school um, found to be um, molesting a student, arrested and gone. And then there was the day my girls were at their dad's house and my phone rang. And I looked down and I recognized the name of one of my older daughter's friends, dad. So I answered the phone and I said, hey, what's up? And he said, "I, I wanted to call you and tell you this myself before you heard it from somewhere else. And then he proceeded to um, share with me that he had been arrested and charged with um, CSAM. He was actually part of the same international Homeland Security sting that got this guy, as it turned out. Mm. And he got caught the same way this guy got caught, Ronald William Brown, um, uh, they were they had arrested another person, and there was Paul's IP address and scads and slews and reams of evidence against him. He was sentenced to prison for ten years. That's a big that's mm. a big deal. 
And he wanted me to know that although this had happened and he was very ashamed of himself and was certainly praying for God to guide him better, that he had never actually touched either one of my daughters. And I want you to imagine taking that phone call. My kids had had sleepovers at his house and playdates. They'd been there for birthday parties. I trusted this man. I thought he was a good, involved dad. And it turned out that he was going, not to jail, but to prison for possession and uh, reproduction and sharing deeply aggressive and disturbing child sexual abuse materials. Fast forward a few years. There's another school teacher, this one not at my kid's school, but he's all over Snapchat looking for little girls. I ended up in the courtroom where that guy stood trial and got a slap on the wrist. I am one person in a medium-sized city completely in, in every way, ordinary to the extreme, four encounters with pedophiles preying on children. And where do the wolves go? The wolves go where the sheep are. The predators go where the prey is. And so it's critically important that as disturbing and troubling and devastating as stories like Ronald William Brown's are, they need to be told. Because when they aren't told, when we're so ashamed and grossed out and horrified and it's just too much, it's so unbearable, it gets swept under the carpet and these offenders are given incredibly light sentences. The only reason that Ronald William Brown was sent off, because he was, it was a federal case at this point when he, when he knocked out of his plea deal, was sent off to a federal corrections institute and held that the only reason is because it didn't it didn't go through the local court system, the state, the municipal court system. I have seen predator. I've made it my business to follow these people, and I've seen predator after predator with shocking and extraordinary evidence against them walk away. A little bit of time, you know, uh, two years plus time served, probation, sex offender registry. The data on. Recidivism, reoffending for pedophiles, mm, it's damning. And we can't, we can't say with one face that we love our children and want to protect our children and it's the children, the children, the children, and then with the other face close our eyes because it's so incredibly distasteful. So there you go. I have a real personal stake in stories like this one, and I'm really determined to, to get them out there, to tell these stories and to beg you to look at these offenders because they're walking amongst us. And more, more devastatingly, they're walking amongst our kids. I mean, Max, you've, you've ridden along with me for everything that I just disclosed. Right, yeah. You know, where, where's the lie? Where's the, even the, the exaggeration? If anything, I'm holding back. Well, and um, I had a coworker a uh, guy that was uh, worked as a salesman at the previous radio station where I had worked um, who was – who did federal time for this very same thing that you're talking about. Um, and I think the thing that is most haunting and horrifying is the fact that most of them won't get caught, that they'll 
that they'll do this they and they yeah. won't get caught. They don't get caught. The thing with um, Brown, so, you know, um, it's an old story. Oh, he's a guy that gets off on little boys. Tragically, that's not really a novelty for humanity. Um, what really jumped the shark with, with Brown and why the feds came down on him so hard and, and we didn't, you can probably find podcasts where they will read verbatim all of the uh, arrest reports and court filings. It's appalling. It's so hard. To, I mean, I have read through these documents with tears streaming down my face. We opted to go easy on that here at True Weird Stuff because this isn't about sensationalizing or shocking you. This is about telling a story that needs to be told. The number of people, parents that I've asked, like, hey, do you know about this guy in Florida, the Christian puppeteer dude who uh, you know, was using his puppets to groom children? And they, they didn't know because it, it makes just the briefest blip on the local news and then it gets swallowed up by the next headline. These guys don't get caught. And, and you know, I know there are women too, but it's, you know, you look at the data sorry boys it's mostly male um they don't get caught and when they do get caught they often don't suffer the consequences i spent some time talking to a detective who heads up a task force in a neighboring state who told me that part of the reason that these cases do not get prosecuted is because the parents are desperate to protect their children from further right. harm <clears throat> and to expose the child to the legal process is no small thing. That legal process looks something like this. Your child is brought in for a forensic interview, and you, the parent, are not in the room. And after that forensic interview, which is in itself its own kind of trauma, your child may or may not elect to testify against the offender in open court. I want you to imagine what that is like. For a child, for a mother, a father, a family, it's extremely difficult. It's scarring and traumatizing. And according to the detective that talked to me, you know, the overwhelming majority of families choose to not do it. And I understand. I get it. Having sat in a courtroom or two and watched these cases be prosecuted, um, and watched these offenders walk away with very light consequences in many cases, you understand why a parent would seek to protect their child from that. But as long as we keep leaving sheep close to the fence line for the wolves to snatch, the wolves have very little incentive to alter their own behavior. And the Internet has just amplified all of those opportunities for predators. Even, um, you know, you've heard of the dark web. Mm -hmm. So CSAM images of children, once an offender has been um, arrested, we'll talk about Ronald William Brown here, law enforcement takes those images and they watermark them so that they can follow their journey around the dark web. Because when you've heard that you can never really truly delete anything, that's mm -hmm. true. That's true. And for those children who have been victimized, those images that have been bought and sold and traded 
that are circulating, like the baby whose identity they were able to trace back to California, that's forever. And the best that you can hope for is that that watermarked image will set off a ping, which will lead to another offender um, getting a knock on the door. Man, that's very unsatisfying, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it hardly makes up for the damage that's being done. So, Max, talk to me about the guy who lives alone and is always inviting the neighbor boys over for pizza and giving them rides. You're not, uh, you're a dog dad, which I know is something we like make fun of because Max is like, please don't call me a dog dad. I'm a dog lover. Um, but so you're not a parent, but, but as someone who's not a parent, does that not, do you not look at that and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I mean, I think you should. I mean, if something seems wrong, if something doesn't seem right, it's probably not. I mean, I don't know what Michael Jackson did or didn't do, but I can look at that situation and say, something doesn't seem right here. Normal people don't act this way. Normal, healthy people don't act this way. I don't know what he did or didn't do, but if you're seeing a situation where that's happening, I think that I think you need to have lots of questions. The pattern, you know, when, okay, you see it once. Sorry, that's a little strange. You see it twice. Well, it's a little. But it, it's a lifestyle now, um, as it was for Ronald William Brown in his neighborhood. And, and everyone knew, it. oh, yeah, you know, he lives alone. He has, he's a puppeteer. He has pizza parties for the neighbor kids and drives them around in the church van. Like, I would ever let one of my kids participate in that. Like, come on. And the sad thing is, here's the sad thing. Guys like that ruin it for the genuinely good people who are altruistic and kind. They ruin it. This is the, this is the thing that's always so sad. I mean, it really is. But you're thinking, well, he's doing this from a religious bent, which makes you um, perhaps give him um, a little bit more um, trust because of that. You go, well, this is what he's doing. He's just being a good guy, and he's trying to, you know, uh, spread spread the uh, the message of Jesus, and, and that's what he's doing. So you give them trust. It's like the seminary school that I went to that um, uh, we talked about on a previous episode about the bishop. You're you giving my the, – the parents of those children who went to those schools, those young men who went to the school that I went to, they trusted those men who were there. They trusted them. And you, you have to have some trust in some people at some point along the line. But you have to be very careful. I think that we probably know more about it now than we did before. I think what happened a lot of times is it was it was um, it was swept under the rug and it didn't come out. And I don't think nearly as many people were convicted of such things. Now we didn't have the internet either, but you certainly had predatory behavior and people that were grooming uh, children and whatnot. Oh, it's ancient. Yeah, I think that is an ancient, um, ancient thing. And and when you look at like the materials that NAMBLA puts out, that's the National Association of Man-Boy Love, because there are people who advocate that that is, um, that is an appropriate relationship, an adult male and a, a child. There are people who advocate for that. Um, and when you look at those materials, you're like, whoa, man, this is some parallel universe stuff right here. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> what? And I've gotten into some pretty heated conversations with people 
on this subject because outside of my like regular working life and my regular kind of public life, I've had all of this other stuff swirling in the background for me for, gosh, let me think. Probably, let's see, my oldest daughter, 12 years or more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little bit longer than that, actually, because she was in third grade with the first, when the first teacher um, vanished in a puff of smoke. Um, as parents, you know, knowledge is power. If you, if you understand what's out there, you're better able to spot the red flags and see them for what they are. And I would also say this to parents and to children, your human instinct about um, predator and prey, that you should always trust that. There's an incredible book that I tell everyone to read by Gavin DeBecker. It's called The Gift of Fear. And in it, Gavin DeBecker, who, and if you're going, where, where do I know that name? Where do I know that name? Where do I know that name? Take you all the way back to the 90s in the O.J. Simpson trial. Gavin DeBecker is an expert in security and protection. Mm. And he remember, he was all over the press right. Uh, right around that time. So The Gift of Fear is an extraordinary book. And, and what it, the message basically comes down to this. That feeling that you have, that something's wrong here, that you should leave right now. Mm-hmm. You should listen to that every single time. I don't care if getting up and walking out looks rude. I don't care if you're afraid of hurting someone's feelings. That voice that's telling you, this is wrong. I want to go is the one voice to listen to. And so for parents who don't want to hear this kind of stuff and they don't want to know it exists, it's all, it's a nightmare made real. The reason to, to reason to look at Ronald William Brown and others like him and to not change the channel, to not turn away, is to give that little instinctive voice inside of you a bit of a workout. Yep, this is what it looks like that, so that you can heed it. I know the one thing that, um, that I tried to teach my girls was, I don't care if you think it's rude. If, you, if at any time something feels wrong, you act on that. If at any time you need to come home, I will come and get you. But of course, no matter what you do, no matter how many, like I say in the episode, no matter how many magical protections you throw up around your family, nothing's, no wall is perfect. No wall keeps all of them out, especially when the wolves gather where the sheep are at school and summer camp and Sunday school, Right. They go where the children are. Now, Ronald William Brown, very interesting case. I looked everywhere for the man in the system. I found him in the Federal Correction Systems database. One account shows him as having been released. Another shows him as having deceased. Um, I can't find an obituary. I can't find a grave. I couldn't find a death certificate, which tells me that he's probably alive and, you know, whether he was paroled or not, he's probably still alive, but I don't know. And that's creepy too. Now, I could have spent a little more money and time really hunting the man down, 
But by the time I got to that point, my skin was crawling, Max, and I felt so grossed out and sick. I felt like, ew, my work here with you is done, sir. <laughs> I'm just, I'm done. I am done looking at you, thinking about you. And if you're alive, whatever. And if you're dead, I don't know. But I can't invest one more minute's time into my hunt for this monster. And Sherry, I've looked at his mugshot. They should have asked me. I'm able to tell whether somebody's guilty or a creep just like that by just looking like that. at a mugshot. Max's instincts are very, very sharp. In fact, if you're like dating someone new and you're kind of wondering, why don't you shoot that image to trueweirdstuff.com and let Max give it a look-see? <laughs> <sighs> Folks, um, do what you can to protect your kids. And the best way to protect your kids and yourself is to not pretend that this doesn't happen. Don't deny. Don't look away. Look it right in the eye and let that inner voice guide you because that voice telling you this is bad go that's the one not the voice telling you oh don't be judgmental oh but he loves the children oh but it's just a ride oh but look at the puppet that's the wrong voice the right voice is the one where you go something wrong here and i'm getting out and speaking of looking at the puppet wait till you see the puppet marty max how the producers of joy junction even allowed that i don't know Marty looks like a dissipated, angry, middle-aged man who lives above a freaking bowling alley. Like he looks so sketchy and untrustworthy. And, and that's saying something for a freaking puppet, right? Okay, like the, there's something wrong with this puppet all by himself. And as I also said, what a terrible ventriloquist. Like, like that was the other thing that tripped my instinctive wires. Like, Man, you really want to be around these kids something fierce because you haven't even bothered to try to be a better ventriloquist. It's just, ugh. <laughs> Hide your kids. Hide your wife, as that internet meme said. Hide yourself because they're out there. And we really appreciate you listening to this episode of True Weird Stuff. Now, on our next episode, we're going to bring the fun back with some testicular transplantation. It's going to be a ball. We'll see you on the next <laughs> True Weird Stuff. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, hit the plus button in the top right corner. And now it helps an independent podcast like ours to get discovered. And we really appreciate it if you subscribe, rate, and review True Weird Stuff. Hit our website, trueweirdstuff.com, for show notes and photos and videos when we have it and bonus content. Everything True Weird is waiting for you at trueweirdstuff.com. And follow True Weird Stuff on Instagram and Twitter. True Weird Stuff is a Now Media production. Our executive producer is Anthony Garcia. The show is written and hosted by me, Sherry Lynch, along with my deeply weird director, Max Sweeten. Our equally odd producer is Carrie Bowser. Additional production by the mysterious Stephen Call. Our digital witch and social media cult leader is Heather Furr. Original graphics by Kevin Nash. Original artworks by Olivia Axlin. True weird original music composed and performed by Jack Griffin and Zane Nash. Copyright 2024 Now Media. All rights reserved. All wrongs remembered.